You're listening to the podcast of Rain City Church. Uh, great. Glad to be with you. We're going to have, uh, uh, we're going to get into some stuff. Uh, but what I want us to do first, I know you just talked about bands. Did you talk about bands? Uh, with each other. But when, just to the person next to you, the person you came with, or a neighbor, uh, I want to ask you this question. When you think of the word, like, uh, the word pattern, when, when you think of a pattern, what comes to mind? So just take like 30 seconds and discuss what comes to mind when you think about pattern, okay? Do that and we'll come back. Okay, um, and we're just a, we're a small group here, so uh, let's uh, let, close. We're here together. Let's just what, what do we, when you think of pattern, what comes? Just say something. What what comes to mind when you think of pattern? Circles, shapes, structure, a template, sequence, momentum, consistency. Nobody said houndstooth? No? Uh, what? Nothing? Uh, yeah, those are great. Pattern is a very dynamic word. It has lots of uh, uses, but yeah, some kind of repetition or things that we're seeing over and over again. When I think of uh, pattern, I think of Jesse Butterworth. Um, no, I think of this artist named Kehinde Wiley. Uh, he's a fantastic artist. He's probably, if you learned about him recently, he did uh, Barack Obama's portrait that's in the National Gallery. Um, but he's this amazing painter who does these very large-scale paintings. And what's uh, really shocking about them is that there's these, he has these wonderful patterns in the background. It looks like wallpaper. Um, and what he's doing in his work, you know, as an African-American man, he is taking uh, his experience as an African-American man in this country and the neighborhoods he grew up in stuff, and he is putting that into this very Eurocentric uh, influence that has affected the painter's world. So we see this like uh, portrait of Napoleon and then he's putting one of his homies in there. And then, uh, and he's doing all these really amazing and beautiful portraits of, of men and women he knows in his community and putting them in these kind of different contexts. But they're wonderful, they're ornate, they're gorgeous. I mean, gosh, the coloring on this, just like the, pro, it's so great. Um, but the, he is not going down to the, the, the store, the paint store, and getting wallpaper. Like, he's hand-painting all of these patterns. And that's what blows my mind. Because, you know, you're like, yeah, look at the portrait. But you're like, look at the patterns on there. Like, he did that all with his own hands. And these are not small paintings. These are very large paintings. They are labors of love. And so when I think about pattern, I think of him, Kehinde Wiley. He's a fantastic artist. Um, but uh, today in our... Um, in the passage we're going to be in, uh, Jesus is going to, he's going to do this thing where he baptizes his disciples' feet. And when he gets done, he says, uh, I've done it, I've set an example for you, and I want you to do the same. And in Eugene Peterson's uh, translation of the Bible, The Message, he actually says this, he says, uh, I've done, I've done, I've laid down a pattern for you, and what I've done, you do. And so Jesus is inviting us in something that's happening, a consistency that's happening over and over and over again, this pattern. And he's saying, I want you to partake and be a part of that pattern. 
Father, Franciscan friar Richard Rohr, um, he's, who's delightful, he, he says this. He says, God simply wants mirroring images of God to live on this earth and to make the divine visible. That is, of course, the way love works. It always overflows, reproduces, and multiplies itself. And God is saying, as it were, all I want are icons and mirrors out there who will communicate who I am and what I'm about. The experience of election, belovedness, chosenness is the typical beginning of this re-imaging process. Then we, with our unveiled faces, gradually receive the brightness of the Lord, and we grow brighter and brighter as we are turned into the image that we reflect. For you must first surrender to the image within yourself before you will then naturally pass it on. And then you become a very usable two-way mirror. So our question this morning is if we're a community that has experienced and participated in the pattern of receiving the brightness of God, and then we give that to each other, what does it look like to, to, to do this pattern as a community? And that's what I want to get into when we talk about releasing and accountability and confession. So our passage this morning is going to be in John, um, and we're going to kind of work through it. Uh, but here's, the, here's how it starts. So it was just before the Passover festival, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. And so so, look, I mean, John's plan, he's like, look, Jesus is, he's like, it's all working out. This is, you know, I'm not anxious at all. And then he, this is what he does. He got up from the meal and he took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. You probably know this, like uh, washing feet was an ancient practice uh, that uh, happened because, uh, you know, people didn't have like how we have awesome modern shoes now, but mostly people were wearing Birkenstocks and Tevas and stuff like that. Um, and, uh, and, and walking around in unpaved roads. So things were very dirty and dusty, right? And so it was a really, it was a commonplace a, a gesture of hospitality that if somebody came over that you would, t- somebody would wash their feet, clean them. It was, a, it was a way to treat them with kindness and hospitality. And um, we don't really do that anymore, right? Because we have modern footwear, we live in soggy places, so we don't, we don't really do that with, uh, with each other. But I was trying to think of like, what is a modern version of this, right? How, what do we do? And um, with feet, uh, I remember I took a, I, I worked in uh, Houston, Texas for a while. I was uh, on staff at a church and the lead pastor, my first week there, he took me to a reflexology foot massage place. I'd never been to one. Have you ever been to one of those places? They're awesome. Uh, But when you walk in, you're like, what is this place? Because it's like a room filled with lazy boys. (laughs) And then what you do is you just take off your shoes and socks, you roll up your pants, and somebody brings a hot basin of water, and you stick your feet in it, and they soak for a while. Oh, it's great. And then somebody comes and just gently massages your feet and all those pressure points, and it is so great. Uh, and it was a consistent habit for me, actually, when I lived in Houston, and still I'm finding places where I live now. Um, it's just really relaxing. I really love it. But uh, I remember there was this time where I injured my toe. Has this ever happened to you where you, like, kicked a ball or something, and you, like, 
you know, you kind of messed up that toenail and it got, it got really funky and then it kind of grew out funky and maybe changed the color. Yeah, it's not fun to talk about. But there was a while I had like a really great yellow toe. <laughs> My big toe was like yellow. And I went to a reflexology place and I forgot about it. And I remember taking off my socks and it was like, oh no, my yellow toe. <laughs> and then I felt bad. I was paying this person to massage my feet, but I was like, just, you know, we didn't have, you don't talk. You know, it's just like, thank you. Um, but, you know, I was soaking my feet and the whole time I was just like, oh, I'm sorry about my yellow toe, <laughs> right? It was this place of vulnerability that, that, that then all of a sudden I was interacting with a person and they could see this very hidden place in me that, that I cover up, that they were seeing it, and it felt very vulnerable. Uh, another story is uh, a friend of ours, I had to pick something up from her house, and she has three kids, almost four now, and uh, she was like, my house is really messy. And, uh, you know, we parents, we say that to each other. But I opened up the door to pick up something, and her house was really messy. Like, it was awful. Like, uh, I had never seen a a pile of laundry that big, just in the living room. Not in a bedroom, just in the living room. Just a pile, like a mountain of laundry. And I was embarrassed for her. But you know, there's like sympathy from parents to parents. But what I think that like a modern version of washing feet, it would be like this. Say you're inviting some people over to your house for a meal and they come over to your house a little bit earlier and they clean your house before they have dinner with you. How awkward would that be, right? They're like, we can't wait for dinner, but we're going to start cleaning your house. Uh, and you're like, cool, thanks. And then they're like, we're going to go in the bathroom, your bathroom, and clean it up. You're like, no, no, don't go into my bathroom. No, that's too much, right? That's what washing feet is like, that, that place of vulnerability. And what we can learn, what's happening in this passage, in this, what Jesus is doing, is what we can learn from this pattern of Jesus is that often our interactions with Jesus start in our greatest places of vulnerability. This is where Jesus comes to us. This is where Jesus, as a servant, as the pattern of a servant, gets down and meets us in those places, the places we don't feel really comfortable letting other people see, even wanting to see ourselves. But that's where Jesus comes and begins a conversation with us. Usually those places are places that we feel a lot of shame. You know, shame is, <clears throat> shame is the emotion. It's the feeling of, I haven't earned love from you. I've done something. I failed at something. I don't deserve love. It's actually uh, the emotion of sin. In, in, the, in the Hebrew poem, in the, in the earliest writings of the creation story, when they're describing what was going on in this, in this garden poem, uh, the, that Adam and Eve, when they sinned, what they felt was shame. That all of a sudden they're like, I got to hide. Like God comes in the garden. He's like, where are you guys? Why are you guys hiding from me? That is the feeling of vulnerability, is that shame, a place I want to hide. And how do we like deal with that God wants to meet us in those spots? I, I remember one morning, um, I was up early, because I have children, you have to get real, up really early to have like a sanity time um, before, you do, <laughs> before you do the day. And I, I uh, was in my living room with a cup of coffee, and I, I just had some things I needed to to deal with God. I had, I had a lot of shame and things I, I didn't, I knew I needed to confess and deal with. And um, I really wanted God to meet me and speak to me. And all I was confronted with was silence, which is my least favorite part about him. Um, and if I'm honest, and I was really frustrated. I was like, I, 
I'm confessing these things. Like, I want to talk about these things, and I need, I need you to meet me here. And I just, it just felt like I was getting nothing. And so um, I knew my kids were going to get up soon, and we got to, you know, breakfast and get ready for school and all that stuff. I never do this. But I was, I don't know. You know, sometimes as a parent, you're like, I just don't want to deal with them. So I went and I turned on the TV because <laughs> I was like, they'll just come out and be like, TV's on. Dad's the best. Um, look, and I'm not a monster. I turned it to PBS, okay? So I turned on the TV. I turned on the TV to just, um, to just get going. And, and then th legitimately, this is what was on, on TV. I had surgery earlier this summer because I have pain in my stomach called autonomic dysreflexia. And I just... What was that Autonomic word? dysreflexia. I'm not exactly sure what it means. But you sure can say it. Yeah. Anyway, so I had a surgery done just recently mm -hmm. to try and cut this sphincter because it's holding my urine in. Mm -hmm. So, well, you have a lot of things going on when you're, this just shows you have a lot of things happening to you when you're handicapped but most of the time. But, and uh, sometimes it happens when you're not handicapped. Of course. But you're able to talk about those things. Yeah. So well, and help other people mm -hmm. who might have the same kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you know that song that I sometimes sing called It's You I Like? Mm-hmm. I'd like to sing that to you and with you. Okay, okay, sure. It's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you. I like the way you are right now, the way down deep inside you, not the things that hide you, not your fancy chair, that's just beside you, but it's you, I like every part of you, your skin, your eyes, your feeling, whether old or new. I hope that you remember, even when you're feeling blue, that it's you I like, it's you yourself, it's you. And then I found myself just crying in my living room. <laughs> we miss Fred. What a genius. He's a genius in so many ways. Uh, first of all, he was a Presbyterian minister who realized that his best, the thing he wanted to do the most was tell the gospel to children through television. Because he looked at what was going on on TV and he's like, this is not helpful. Um, and one of the things he did that was brilliant is, first of all, he reminded all of us who maybe saw him growing up or even now, um, that we were all neighbors, that everybody in the world is your neighbor, and this is our neighborhood, and we should be kind to one another. 
And then also what he said, he went around and he sang this song to us and to others and everybody. And he sang this song and he's like, it's you that I like. It's not the things you're wearing, the things you have, the things you've done. It's not whatever the fancy thing you have. That's just beside you. It's you, the way you are right now, the way down deep inside you. And, you know, Fred wrote these songs himself. And what I, and there's a, a thing later on, but like he, this is not something that he just made up. This is something he experienced. And then he translated that. He translated that and made this song and he sang it over people. So what, when we think that we're to, like this is what Christ is telling us, like the, the things we're trying to hide or cover up, those vulnerable places, like that's the place that he comes with love and cares for us. And so what do we do in light of that? Because I know this in theory, right? I know this in theory, but I rarely maybe practice it because I'm so ingrained to try to earn love from others. And it's hard to just be loved and receive love because I'm very aware of the things that if I shared, I'd feel a lot of shame. You know, the people I hate, the things I lust after, the things I, I, uh, I, uh, I numb and medicate myself to the pain I have, the things I hide from. I know those things. You know those things about yourself. And I don't want to show those things. Um, and, and often when we think about, like, accountability, um, oh, we'll get to this in a second. When we uh, think of, when we use the term accountability, if you grew up in a religious community, what accountability meant was like, at some moment, somebody was gonna ask you to share your deepest, darkest secret, and you would be publicly shamed by your community. And then probably after you shared it, at the end, they'd be like, we're gonna have to ask you to leave, because it turns out you're too dirty of a sinner um, to be here, and you're really messing up our vibe, right? And that's what we think about accountability, is this like, you're asking me to be publicly shamed. And that's not what it is. Um, maybe it will help us to get a better idea if we think about this word genius. Now, we use this word genius. I said Fred is a genius, right? We use this word genius often meaning somebody's really good at something, like LeBron James is a genius, or like Elon Musk is a genius, right? It's based on their like, smarts or their, uh, how they're applying that to the world and their accomplishments. But that isn't the definition necessarily of it. It's had other definitions throughout time. In fact, uh, Irish poet David White um, he actually says that genius often referred to an environment, to a landscape, the genius of a place. And he says, like, say the Irish coast, which is rugged and beautiful. The genius of the Irish coast is the conversation that's going on between the elements, between the water and the land, the constant motion, the rubbing up against it, the wind, and all of those things. And what gives the particularity to that environment, the genius of that, is the conversation of all of those elements bumping up against each other and forming one another. And we, too, have a particular genius. Like, you are a genius of the way you grew up, like how people treated you when you were younger, how you've learned to survive in the world, your thoughts, your feelings, emotions, your job, your stresses, your joys, your loves. That is the genius of you. That is your landscape that is forming, that is being formed by all those elements. And so the question is, is when we come across like an unbeautiful place inside of ourselves, an unbeautiful landscape 
What do we do with that? And David White says, so what if we then go to these unbeautiful moments and we ask beautiful questions? Because by asking a beautiful question, uh, like he says, David White says, if you, you don't even have to know what it means necessarily, but when you go into that and you ask yourself beautiful questions, you'll ask yourself into a beautiful new way of living. And we all know maybe like the unbeautiful moments in us. Maybe there's like some broken marriages and broken relationships, the loss of a job, stress, the unhealthy habits, right? We all kind of know these unbeautiful places. And what is, instead of like responding in shame or, you know, let's have you talk about that, what if we just went to those places and said, let's ask beautiful questions to those landscapes and let's see if that transforms us. This is what Jesus does to Peter, right? Um, Peter, you know, is very into the whole thing. And then there's the denials, the crucifixion, resurrection, Weird ghost stuff, I'm going fishing, you know, miracle on the ocean, swimming in my underwear, breakfast on the beach. And then Jesus is like, come and talk with me. And Jesus is like, you know, Jesus could have been, hey, Peter, remember when you were so gung-ho and then you denied me those times? He could have done that. But what does he do? He goes, hey, Peter, do you love me? He goes to Peter in, a sh- in Peter's shame and he asks him a beautiful question. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And this is the person that the church gets founded on. (laughs) It's the beautiful question that transforms him. So maybe our practice in accountability with this community is to think about accountability this way. Accountability is asking beautiful questions. And we don't have a ton of time to go through this whole thing, but I did the dirty work for you, (laughs) and I put together some beautiful questions that you can have. Because... Look, I know when we look at Fred Rogers, we're like, I can't ever be that way. I get it. But maybe when we think about accountability, it's like we kind of want to hang out with Fred Rogers. That would be awesome. And maybe we can be a kind of Fred Rogers to somebody else. And how we can become, become that is we can start collecting beautiful questions that we ask ourselves and we ask one another. So this is from Alice Fry, uh, Freiling's book, Seeking God Together. It's really great, but she has a bunch of questions in there, and I, I put some together that I think are really helpful. Like, what was your life like for you today? Can you describe the time today where you felt the most free? What about the time you felt the least free? In the last 24 hours, what gave you joy? What gave you sorrow? Who in your life, past or present, has given you a taste of God's love? What is your soul longing today? (laughs) When are you bored with your spiritual journey? How would you like to experience God in the next few weeks? We can ask these questions to ourselves and others and lead us into making those uh, scary landscapes into something beautiful. So let's go back to the passage. So, Jesus came to Simon Peter, and he said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later you will understand. And no, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part of me. And then, then Lord, Simon Peter said, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. And Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. He, if you look, he's really funny. Um, Jesus is like a comedian. There's some great stuff. Uh, Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew that somebody was going to betray him, and that that was why he said not everyone is clean. Um, You can feel the tension in this moment, right? 
Like, it, like <laughs> Peter's like, it's awkward that you're washing my feet. I don't want you to do that. I, oh, well, then do it with my whole body and do everything, right? It's just like, uh, how do you deal with this situation? Because it's hard to be loved. It is. It's really hard when people love you and you're like, I, 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 please, you know, stop. I, it's, it's awkward. Um, I've been a Christian my whole life. Like, I've grown up in the church, and uh, I know that the number one commandment, the top commandments that Jesus says is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I'm really thankful for the community I grew up in because they did a really good job at loving God you know, with liturgy and worship and service, and they, and they love their neighbors really well with like charity and missions and all this kind of stuff. But we never really talked about that last part, which was as you love yourself. Because, you know, it seems narcissistic and a little self-indulgent stuff. But look, you can't receive God's love if you secretly hate who God made you to be. And you can't really love your neighbor uh, if all the dynamics of how you think you earn love, you're going to put that onto your neighbor, whether you know it or not. And so actually, like, how you love yourself or allowed yourself to be loved is how you experience God's love and how you love your neighbor. Uh, if you want to go down the rabbit hole of Fred Rogers clips, you can. It's a deep hole on YouTube, and it's amazing. And what's awesome about uh, Fred is that this song, It's You I Like, he actually sang this song throughout his entire career. He sang it to children and adults and even celebrities. And there's this one moment he was on uh, the Johnny Carson, Tonight Show with Johnny Carson. But Johnny, when he, off, when he was taking a vacation, he would have Joan Rivers come and host. And so he's on with Joan Rivers, and then uh, this scenario happens. Let me watch it. Oh, hang on. oh sorry. There we go. Everything. I write the songs, and John Costa is our musical director it's who plays do, them so well. Do the song. Um, the one that Melissa likes, I Like You. Oh, good. I remember that when she was growing well, I'll up. I'll sing that to you and everybody no, don't you, else. Yeah. Make me die. Yeah. <laughs> it's you I like. It's not the things you wear. It's not the way you do your hair. But it's you I like The way you are right now The way down deep inside you Not the things that hide you Not your jokes They're just beside you But it's you I like Every part of you Your skin, your eyes, your feelings Whether old or new I hope that you'll remember Even when you're feeling blue That it's you I like It's you yourself It's you It's you I So good. You can kind of see Peter in that moment, right? Like, uh, Peter probably didn't have a sweater, but you can see that same movement, which is like, stop, stop, this is too much right now, right? He's so good. He always changes it for people, too. He's like, not your jokes. That's just, because he knows Joan Rivers is a joke writer. He's like, 
It's not your jokes. That's just beside you. It's so good. He's so personal. Um, but it's hard to receive love in those vulnerable places, right? It's hard. It's hard when somebody's right there doing it. You're like, no, it's so uncomfortable. Because we're aware of these unbeautiful landscapes these, the, in our genius, right? And actually, the poet David White, uh, the Irish poet, he says this. He says, out of all of creation, human beings are the only ones that can reject their genius. Birds can't stop being birds. Trees can't stop being trees, right? All of those things, that, but human beings can reject who we are and try to be something else. He goes on to say, he's like, we can get afraid of the way we are. And we can temporarily put a mask over our face and pretend to be somebody else or something else. And the interesting thing is that when we take it another step of virtuosity and forget that we were pretending to be someone else and become the person we were, on the surface at least, who we were just pretending to be in the first place. He's saying like we can get so good at pretending that we actually forget who we are and we think we're the thing we're pretending to be. And so what do we do about this? Like, Because I know I'm loved, but I spend 99% of the time trying to earn love through like outward things or accomplishments, material wealth, manners, all those kinds of things. So what could our spiritual practice be to experience and let ourselves be loved. And I think uh, one of the ways that we can talk about it is practicing the be not afraid. Practicing the be not afraid. It actually, somebody took some time to figure out that there's, it says be not afraid, don't be afraid about 365 times in the Bible. That's one for every day of the year. So every day of the year we can go the be not afraid. I don't need to be afraid of God's presence. And when we talk about confession, so accountability is asking beautiful questions. Confession is the participation in the healing work of God. Confession is not, here are the things that keep me from you, God. Paul's like, nothing can keep you away from the love of God. Nothing can. No height, depths, no environment, no situation, no spiritual forces, angels or demons. Nothing can keep you from God's love. Side note, but your self-hatred can. Your self-hatred, your shame, it thinks you can be separated from God's love. And so confession is not, God, here are the things that separate me from you. Confession then is to go, here are the things that I think are keeping me from God's love. I need to say it out loud. I need to tell somebody. I need to admit it. Because I'm hiding because I think this is separating me from God's love. And by saying it, then I can start partaking in the healing work of God. I'm allowing God to come. I'm allowing Jesus to come and wash my feet. So sitting in these spaces and practicing the healing work of God. And then this last part of the passage. Then he said, do you understand what I have done to you? You address me as teacher and master, and rightly so. That is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet... You must now wash each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. Here's the good news. The good, here's the good news. This isn't about willpower. This isn't about being better. This isn't about accomplishing anything. What we're being invited to do is let God love us and then from that place, reciprocate it. It's not about doing anything. It's about letting it be done to you and then reciprocating that. And that is the pattern. 
The pattern is to let yourself be loved and then reciprocate it. This is the pattern for us. This is what Jesus actually says. He says, I only love as the Father has loved me, and I give that to you. He practiced it himself. He says it. He's like, I receive God's love, and then I give that to you. So this is the pattern that we are invited to reciprocate with each other and in a community. Uh, Richard Rohr, he says this. He says, henceforth, all your moral behavior is simply the imitation of God. First, observe what God is doing all the time and everywhere, and then do the same thing. And what does God do? God do, does what God is, love. God does not love you if, you, uh, you if and when you change. God loves you so that you can change. That is the true storyline of the gospel. That is the true storyline of the gospel. In 1999, Fred Rogers gets inducted into the TV Hall of Fame. And it's this big show. I think it was during the Emmys. Like, everybody, like celebrities, all the celebrities at that time were there. And uh, so they're going to introduce this award. And they have a very special guest who's not a celebrity who comes and gives him the award. From Jeffrey Erlinger. It's an honor to be here tonight, to be part of your proud moment, this proud moment. You know, when, when you tell people that it's you I, it's you I like, you, we know that you really mean it. And tonight, I want to let you know that on behalf of millions of children and grown-ups, it is you that I like. Lots of, lots of applause. Even Dick Van Dyke, he's, a, he's there. Yeah. It's an amazing moment. It's 19 years later. And it's, you can watch, man, uh, you can watch this whole speech on YouTube. It's phenomenal. What's great is uh, Fred's like, hey, Jeff, would you just stay on stage with me as I give this speech? And so Jeff, Jeff is just next to him the whole time. And then Fred goes into the speech and he says, um, I'll put this down here, but I need to see it. Um, he says, fame is a four-letter word. And just like other four-letter words like pain and love and Zoom, you have to decide what you're going to do with it. And he says, and this is to people who are in the television industry, he goes, I believe that those of us who are in, in television are servants. And I think that's what we need to do. And he tells about how to do that. But then in the middle of his speech, he, this whole audience, he goes, I want you to take a moment to think about somebody in your life who encouraged you, who loved you, and helped form who you are now today. And he goes, just take 10 seconds. I'll keep the time. And then this broadcast, the whole room, Candace Bergen, Steve Martin's there, like everybody. And they're just like, hmm. 
and they take 10 seconds. And after 10 seconds, he's like, so maybe this week, why don't you reach out to them, give them a phone call, write them a letter and say, thank you. Thank you for loving me well. I think could we in this time, before we move into singing and responding to God through singing, could we just do that ourselves? Just, just take 10 seconds and we'll just sit and go like, actually, who has in my life has loved me well? Who got me in touch with God's love by the way they loved me? So why don't we take 10 seconds and I'll keep the time. And so maybe this week, even after this, you could send a text or an email, write a letter, call them up and just say, you know what? Thank you for loving me really well. Like you are part of forming the genius of me. And I really appreciate that. And us as a community, when we engage in releasing and accountability and confession, really what we're doing is we're partaking in God's love and then we're reciprocating that to each other. And so what we can do is we can ask beautiful questions to our unpleasant places. We can call out the things that we think are keeping me from God's love, but really aren't. And the good news is that it's nothing that we have to do, but we need to let it be done to us. And then from that restoring and healing place, that is what we give to others. And let that be our practice for the next while and hopefully the rest of our lives. And let me pray for you, God the giver of our lives, the giver of all things. We might be hiding today. There's places we want to hide from you, and that's okay. But we see it, and we let you come to the yellow toe of our lives, and we're going to let you wash our feet. Thank you for meeting us in those vulnerable places. Thank you for releasing us of our shame that it isn't anything that separates us from you, but it's what we think can. And we wanna be centered in that experience and then we want to give that to others. Help us be a people who are compassionate and graceful. We know we can't be Fred Rogers. That guy was his own thing, but we can be the kind of people who can mimic that and ask beautiful questions and sit with each other. And so help us in that. We love you so much. hope you enjoyed this message. For more information and resources, go to raincitychurch.com. Thanks for listening.